Shalom. I want to ask you, how many of you had a Seder this week? Last week. How many of you had two Seders? It's the most baffling thing. Reformed Jews never observe the second day of a festival. We follow custom in Israel. The second day was added because during the uh, temple period, news of the new moon, the new month, was communicated by messenger to diaspora communities. They didn't have Skype or email or text or Facebook or Twitter. Or what, what do they call that ancient form of communication? Telephone. And because news of the new moon was communicated physically by a person, the messenger might not arrive in time to far-flung diaspora communities to pinpoint the precise time that the new moon, that is the new month, arrived. And in order to ensure, to ensure that later in the month, that at least one day of observance of the festival in the diaspora conformed to the day of observance in Israel, the custom of adding a second day began. In this way, diaspora communities were sure that at least one of the two days that they observed was the correct date according to the authorities in Israel. But today, we've got smartphones, smart technology, and smart devices, we know the precise millisecond that sundown occurs anywhere in the world forever. So why observe the second day of the festival? After all, Jews in Israel, now the majority of world Jewry, they don't observe two days. That's the reason that we don't observe two days. Except, apparently, the first two days of Passover, when, for some reason, Reformed Jews become ultra-observant. And not only that, all of a sudden our Jews become observant about food. Let's face it, so many liberal Jews don't give a lick about kashrut. They eat any creepy crawling, snorting, sea-crawling, swarming, blood-flowing, moving thing under the sun. And yet, those very Jews will observe Passover dietary laws. And not only that, they will observe strict Passover dietary laws. For example, it's only the Ashkenazi rabbis who decreed that rice, corn, and beans are not kosher for Passover. They were afraid that these foods would be confused with the restricted foods because they looked like the restricted foods. They looked like chametz. For rice, for example, being white, looked like leavened wheat. So in order to prevent eating leavened wheat, the restricted food, and in order not to confuse any bystander who might think that bread is permitted, Ashkenazi rabbis prohibited rice and corn and beans just in case. 
But Sephardic rabbis, they said, come on, don't be ridiculous. Sephardi Jews eat rice, they eat corn, they eat beans. It's a much happier week in Sephardic homes, if you know what I mean. So we have American Jews who on every day of the year, except Passover, eat bacon and eggs for breakfast, but observe Passover dietary laws in their strictest form. They might even continue to eat bacon and eggs for breakfast during Passover, only they will forego the toast. <laughs> during Passover, they might order pork bellies in lobster sauce from the local Chinese that can only stay in business because of its Jewish clientele. <laughs> but in deference to the holiday, they will insist that the rice not arrive with the order. If there is rice in the delivery, they'll return the whole menu. Heaven forbid that rice will come into our home. Pork, yes. Pork egg roll, not kosher for Passover. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know anything. What I would like to believe is that even those of us who are ever so sophisticated, even those of us who at a press of a key can tell you precisely when Passover falls today, tomorrow, and for all eternity, even we want to sense the spiritual essence of life. We want to sing the song of the spirit to understand better the great power of the universe that moves events. And Passover gives us this opportunity better perhaps than any other rite or ritual. It is not only the message of freedom that is inherent in the Passover story. It is that God wants this freedom. God hears the cries of the oppressed and that God intervenes to release the captive. Passover gives us two central messages. We can be freedom fighters. We can empower ourselves to change the world and be change agents for a better world. And also, that events are not random. There is a structure to the moral universe. I would like to believe that this is one of the keys to Passover's popularity. It's not only matzah, the bread of liberty that is so morally compelling. It is also Elijah's cup, the vessel of divine redemption that beckons us. That we still believe that the flat bread of affliction will give way to the florid summits of affection. That the bitterness of humiliation will give way to the betterment of humanity. That the wilderness of moral loneliness will give way to the lush gardens of divine knowledge. That contrary to daily evidence of moral chaos, randomness, and savagery, 
There is justice at the heart of the universe decreed by the judge of all the earth. Most of the truly sensitive and sophisticated people of our world are not, in fact, atheists. The most brilliant scientists know too much about the vastness of the universe and the complexity of our own brains to be strict atheists. I'm not an atheist, said Einstein. The problem is too vast for our limited minds. We see the universe marvelously arranged and obeying certain laws, but only dimly understand these laws. Atheists, Einstein lamented, cannot hear the music of the spheres. I prefer the attitude of humility. While not believing in a personal God, Einstein wrote, to sense that behind anything that we can experience, there is something that our minds cannot grasp, whose beauty and sublimity reaches us only indirectly. This is religiousness. And in this way, I would like to believe that Passover has a chance of reaching modern people in a manner that even the high holidays cannot. Perhaps that's why Passover by far is the most widely observed festival of the year. The Torah reading for the last day of Passover contains the Song of the Sea, that poetic exaltation that burst forth from the people upon reaching freedom's side of the water. The song begins with these words. Az yashir Moshe v'nei Yisrael et hashira azot l'adonai. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to God. The Talmud asks, how did they sing this song? What did it sound like? The sages give three responses. First, Moses sang all the verses, and the people responded with the refrain from the opening line. It's like the songs we sing today. She loves you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who remembers the rest of the words? Knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. You remember the rest of the words? Second, the people repeated the words that Moses sang verse by verse. Third, Moses sang the opening words, and that was enough for everyone else to join in the singing of the entire song. What's the difference between the three possibilities? The first possibility, that Moses sang everything and the people responded with a refrain from the opening line, implies that this spiritual moment, this great march towards freedom and self-empowerment is still mostly about Moses. He composed the song. He sang the words. And the people only repeated the refrain. The second possibility, that the people repeated every word that Moses sang, indicates a greater involvement of the people. They're reciting every single word of the song. But still, they're only repeating what Moses sings first. The third possibility represents the fullest involvement of the people. All Moses needed to do was to sing the opening words, and that was enough to lead to the dramatic inspiration of the people joining in and singing on their own. 
We should all aspire to this third possibility. For too many of us, religion and spirituality is all about following the service leader, reciting someone else's words, singing someone else's song, reciting the refrain. Sometimes we can't do anymore. Sometimes if we can learn enough, we can repeat verse by verse. But our optimal aspiration to, should be to sing the song on our own. So do the second seders. Observe strict Passover dietary laws. You don't do enough Jewish things during the year, so you should do this. One day or two days or one week, you should become ultra-observant. That's good. I like that. Because in this process, perhaps you will learn enough, perhaps you will be inspired enough to be able to sing on your own to God. And then you might hear the music of the spheres.